over the past number of weeks, we have been looking at new values for our church, and we've been looking to put our faith into practice every single week, doing these little challenges that are given at the end of sermons to take the content of the teaching and, and help us to begin living it out. These values describe what we think it means to live lives of faith, hope, and love. And we've already looked at prayer as a value, and now we're looking at this value of discipleship. And last week we heard from our friends at Canadian Baptist Ministry, CBM, who talked about being global disciples, and you were invited to participate in a, <coughs> excuse me, in a clothing drive for the Native Women's Center in Hamilton. If you have donations for that, you can bring them to the church um, any Sunday for the next two Sundays. So today and next Sunday, and then they'll be handed off, uh, off to the center who is in need of clothing donations for women and children, and children from 2 to 17. So if you have any clothes to give, um, you can do that on Sundays. If you're not able to make it on Sunday afternoon to be able to make those donations, you can also email me at sean at wentworthbaptist.ca and we can organize a time for you to do that drop-off as well. But just speaking about discipleship as the, as the theme of this value, we, we were in, we were, we've been introduced to the idea that prayer and discipleship are connected quite profoundly in last week. Uh, CBM described global discipleship. And it brings up a, a question for us, I think, is, you know, what is a disciple? And why do we use this phrase? You know, oftentimes, when we think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we think, well, that the title is Christian. Because that's, that, that's the religious title. And that's the self-identification that the church uses today to describe who we are. We are Christians. But what did the New Testament describe themselves as? What did the early church describe themselves as? We might say, well, Christian, but that actually only happens three times in the New Testament. Paul calls Christian saints a lot more than Christian. Excuse me, 59 times Paul describes believers as saints, which, which is maybe a bit of a corrective for us, eh? We don't often think of ourselves in those terms as holy ones, as set-apart ones, which is what the Greek of, the, of saints means. But the most often used phrase describing or self-identifying who Jesus followers are is this word disciples used over 250 times. If anything, this should recalibrate how we think about ourselves. We're not primarily, like this word Christian has this <clears throat> religious connotation, but actually it just means Christ follower. And maybe we should start thinking of ourselves, instead of the religious term Christian, thinking about ourselves as disciples of Jesus. Because a disciple is who we are. We are people who are being apprenticed, who are being trained by Jesus to live the life that he has for us. Discipleship is really what our training is called as we become more and more faithful disciples of God. 
And this is what our second value practice is all about. Discipleship. It's about that training. It's about following Jesus by being obedient to scripture, which is the primary calling of God's people. Not the only calling, but it's the primary calling. We are called to follow Jesus. And we do that by being obedient to scripture. The reality is, though, that I think we're not often sure what we mean by discipleship. And actually, we're not even sure what it means to follow Jesus. So we come up with shorthand ideas to try to help us make sense of it. <clears throat> and I'm going to submit that the most popular idea today is probably not the right one to use. And that is love. I'm, I am not suggesting that we are supposed to not be loving. What I'm suggesting is that the way that we think about what it means to follow Jesus shouldn't primarily be described by this word love. And I have a reason for that. Um, first off, the word love in English is very poorly defined. It, we can be used in all sorts of ways, including quite sentimental ways. So for example, to use this word in different phrases, I could say, I love my wife. And I could also say, I love popcorn. And I could also say, I love sunny weather. And there's no differentiation between them, on, uh, even though we know that there is, right? We know that I love my wife in a different, total, totally different way than I love popcorn or sunny weather. <laughs> At least I hope. <laughs> because if I don't, that's, I'm actually not living up to my husbandly responsibilities, am I? But the word leaves all sorts of room for interpretation of what we mean. So when we say our job is to love others, we're actually opening ourselves up to, uh, to an interpretation of a word that's actually muddled at best. Our understanding of it tends to be muddled. And so we can take it to mean all sorts of things and it just confuses us. Does love mean that we make sure that people are always fully comfortable? And does it, or does it mean that maybe we should support everything that everyone does because that's what loving them means? That's what a loving person would do. Does it mean we should live and let live? Here's the thing. It's not just important that we love, which it is, but we need to love rightly. And this is what our discipleship is meant to train us to do, to love rightly. And so there is a metaphor that scripture actually says, this is what it means to love. This is, if you want to know what love is, this is where you look. If you want to know how to define what love is for Christ followers, this is where you look. And it is the cross. The cross, and really the gospel, is where love is defined for Christians. And it says it in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is what love is, Jesus' death on the cross. And so go and do that for your brothers and sisters. And notice, it doesn't say, now go and do that for everyone in the entire world. It says, go and do that for your brothers and sisters. Why is that? 
Well, it's because what you will do to your brothers and sisters, you will do to other people. How you're shaped in your family will, will shape how you engage with the rest of the world. And so beginning in the church, we're actually told to love one another in this, as Jesus taught us how to love, which is to, to, to love as a, as a, a self-sacrificially to put, uh, to put other people and their interests above our own and to look out for their flourishing as human beings to, and, and I'm going to define flourishing as the inbreaking of God's kingdom in their life. We want to see people know God and see his kingdom and his, his rule and reign brought to bear in their lives. But that has to start within the church. The church is where we start putting our faith into practice, where we start to learn how to follow Jesus by loving one another as Jesus loved us. This is not so that our faith can stay within the church, though, but it's to build our confidence so that we can then go and live faithfully throughout our days. This is what discipleship is. It's sort of learning. It's, it's like learning how to walk. Now, Ellie, who's, a, who's, just, who's almost a year old, can you, that's a, can you believe that? Um, she is, she's learned how to crawl, and now she's getting prepared to learn how to walk, and we can see it. Because she'll, she's learned how to crawl, and now she's in these stages where she likes to pull herself up, and she's trying to get in her little legs and 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 sort of figure out what her legs can do under her. Our discipleship often is like that. When we first become Christians, we have to learn how to crawl, and then we need help to learn how to walk. We need the we need steady supports, and we need others to to help us and to guide us and to teach us what it means to follow Jesus. But even when we learn how to walk, we'll often fall and stumble. Liam was showing me that this week. Uh, we've been taking, because the weather was so nice, we took him out to, um, to a splash pad and he was, uh, and as a three-year-old does, just runs around in circles and circles. But uh, he, he has badly scratched up knees now because he was having so much fun, but he'd trip and scrape his knee and then get back up and run around some more and trip and scratch his knee and get up and run some more. But each time he does that, he's learning a little bit more how to run, um, and particularly run in, in water splashing him in the face, which is, which is really fun. But our discipleship is all about that. It's about learning how to walk. And we need to learn how to walk amongst trusted brothers and sisters in Christ before we're able to run out into the world. So our love isn't sentimental. It's actually very practical. And it, it asks this question, how can we bring God's rule and reign into the relationship of our lives? You know, Jesus points to the cross as being this place where, <clears throat> where we understand what our discipleship is specifically in Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I'm going to open up my Bible there. And if, if you would like to as well, you can. Mark chapter 8. And it's uh, the section at the very end of the chapter where Mark is 
uh, Jesus uh, has just predicted his own death within the gospel. And now he is calling a crowd together with his disciples already around him and giving them a teaching about what it means to follow him. And so in verse 34, it begins, Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. This is, this is, this is a profound teaching, and it's maybe one that we don't pay attention to often. He's saying, you know, following me actually means denying yourself. Following me means I am the Lord or the leader of your life. You're not the one who gets to call the shots anymore. When we follow Jesus, we're submitting ourselves to him and asking him, what would you have us do? And he says, you have to pick up your cross and follow this after he has said, this is where I'm going. I am going to be crucified. He's, the Son of Man is going to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third, and after three days, rise again. And he says, okay, now, here's what it means to be my disciple. Follow me into that. And indeed, the, the disciples actually don't really understand it. Peter rebukes him and Jesus rebukes him back. So it's no wonder that after rebuking Peter, Jesus goes on to describe what it means to follow him, about denial and taking up their cross and following them. And then this word, lose it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me or the, and the gospel will save it. This, this word has this idea of abolishing and it's, it's trying to describe an active participation of, 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 of some kind. So whoever wants to save their life will abolish their life. Whoever wants to cling to this world to save it, to, to gain immortality, let's say, fame and fortune and popularity, whoever grabs hold of this life is actually going to abolish their life. They're going to be divorced from their life. But whoever abolishes their life for Jesus and the sake of the gospel, they are going to save their lives. And Jesus describes this in this, in this way that ups the stakes of the decision. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And goes on, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Whoever is ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of them, Jesus says. If we don't pick up our crosses, Jesus is going to look at us and say, no, I'm ashamed of you. 
if we don't lose our, our lives for the sake of him and his gospel, he's going to come on clouds in glory and say, I never knew you. Even if we confess ourselves as Christians our entire lives, if we don't pick up our crosses and follow, he'll say, I never knew you. I never knew you. And all of this implies something. Following Jesus is really hard. Following Jesus is extremely difficult. Because it often means, you know, denying ourselves actually means saying no to things again and again and again. Not just once or twice or three times, like thousands of times every single day. It means saying, I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. And now I belong to Jesus and my life is lived for him. Denying ourselves, picking up our cross and following means saying no to a whole bunch of other things so that we can say yes to Christ. And Jesus says this not as an evangelistic message. He says it as a bit of a pruning message, actually, I think. But he's saying it to the people who are most committed to him, the disciples and then the crowds that are following him at the time. He's saying, okay, you need to make a choice. You say you're following me. You say you're dedicated to me. Great. Deny yourselves now. Pick up your cross and follow me. Hear the words that I speak, the things that I teach, and do them. Actually heed them. Don't just listen and let it go in one ear and out the other. Actually put your faith into practice. And so this is what the Christian life is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like the cross. It's supposed to look like sacrifice. Sacrifice for the sake of others. Sacrifice that sees the kingdom of God being built relationship by relationship. God's reign being brought to bear. But often I think that if we're honest about our discipleship or about our following Jesus, we just don't feel like we're living up to this life that Jesus says that we should be living up to, do we? You know, if I'm, if I'm really honest, most days I don't feel it. And I'm willing to bet most days you don't feel it either. We have moments where we feel fully alive in Christ and we feel like, okay, we are following him so well right now. And then we wake up the next day and we feel defeated and like, like, we've, like we've messed up and that we don't have it together. I'm willing to bet that's what most of, it, most of us feel. We have sort of a, a discipleship inferiority complex where we, we think that we're the worst followers of everyone else. And we think that following Jesus means that we need to get every part of our act together. And then when we can't, it, it deflates us and actually draws us away from deeper relationship with God. But of course, that's not what we're called to. We're not called to strive towards getting our act together. This is something that Paul makes really clear in Romans chapter 7. So I'd like to turn there now. Romans chapter 7. This is a beautiful description of the Christian life. And I've, it, I, I find it really hopeful and a good reminder for us as we learn how to live 
as followers of Jesus. As we learn to live as disciples of Jesus, the Apostle Paul was a disciple of Jesus. He was an apostle. He was one of the ones that Jesus chose and sent out to spread the gospel throughout the world. And so what he has to say about this life of discipleship, we should pay attention to, especially as the Spirit inspired these words that he writes. So in verse 18 of chapter 7, here is what Paul says. For I know that the good, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And so I find this law at work, even though I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And this is a great description of just what it feels like waking up every single day, isn't it? And, and going about our days asking this question, how do we live as followers of Jesus? How do we pick up our cross and follow him? How do we love other people sacrificially to see the kingdom of God breaking through into this world? Well, we wake up and we know all the good things that we're supposed to do. We know, uh, we know what we think we should do to love other people. And we, we, we say, I know what God requires of me in how I treat others. And then we don't do any of it. We know the good that we're supposed to do. And then we avoid it. <laughs> We do instead the things we know that we shouldn't be doing. In other words, what Paul's saying is, you know, I do, we do the things that we know are bad and we avoid doing the things that we know are good. And this is the sinful nature at work in us. This is our sinful nature trying to draw us away from the living God and living the life that God has for us. And so what is the answer? What is the answer to this plight? Well, Paul gives us an answer in the next verse. Verse 24, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And he's trying to now build an argument to help us see how God transforms us through our mind. And even though we're in bodies of decay, because God has blessed his spirit, uh, blessed us with his spirit, has given us his spirit and indwelt us with his spirit. Our bodies may decay, but they'll be risen again in glory, he goes on to talk about. But did you catch this? He says, Who's going to deliver me? Who's going to deliver me from my sinful flesh? Who's going to deliver me from this impulse to do bad rather than good? He says, Jesus. Jesus. It's, it's God who delivers us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he goes on 
in the first couple of verses of chapter 8. And this is, this, is, this is the beautiful part. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Has set you free. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The spirit of God living in us is what draws us towards living the life that God has for us, transforming our minds. And so what's the answer to this plight where we feel like we need to get it together, but we just can't? What's the gospel? Because the gospel reminds us that it's not up to us. The gospel reminds us that we don't save ourselves, that Jesus saves us. And Jesus, Jesus often saves us from ourselves. You know, the truth is that the people who don't have it all together, who aren't perfect disciples, who are imperfect, who are, who are stumbling along, those people are exactly the people that God wants to use in this world. And so if that's you, and I'm willing to bet it is, God has a plan for your life. And he has it planned in advance and is just waiting for you to say, I'm in, and to pick up your cross and follow. He has good works prepared for you in advance to do, scripture says. But he's just waiting for us. But he's waiting for us to pick up our cross and follow. He's waiting for us to choose to lean into difficulty and hardship, which is what the disciples of Jesus have often run into but he's also waiting for us to say yes to beauty and truth, to grace and sacrifice, uh, to living a life of love that's defined by our relationship with God. We need the gospel. We need to hear the gospel every single day, the message of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus so that we can live how God wants us to live. We need to, see, we need to hear God's great, I love you from the cross and be reminded of it again and again so that we can then go and live that love for others. So we can have all sorts of ways of reminding ourselves of this. There are great shorthands. Um, one that I use is prepositions um, for, to, and through. God sent his son for us to offer the life of heaven to us and build his kingdom through us. And that can, in my mind, I can use that as jumping off points to then describe the gospel in all its parts. But sometimes more detail is helpful. And so I'm going to read a, a longer passage of a book called Gospel Fluency. And it's all about how do you become more fluent in the gospel so that you can bring it to bear throughout your life into all different situations. And it has this great, beautiful description of the gospel that I think connects well with this Romans passage. And, and I, I'm reading this to remind you of the gospel. 
I'm assuming many of you have been Christians for a long time. A couple of years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Sometimes we hear the gospel so often we think, okay, I don't need that anymore. I'm holy enough. I'm good enough. I'm a good person, we'll tell ourselves. But God doesn't ask us to be good people. He calls us to be holy people, to be set apart, and to live as citizens of his kingdom. You're not called to be a good person. You're called to be a holy person. The gospel is the thing that helps us not just realize that, but also helps us step towards it in faith. Because we can be good according to cultural standards. We can't be holy. We can try and try and try as we might. We will never be holy. No effort of ours can, can bring that about. The only thing that actually brings that about is the gospel. Is this message that, that Jesus lived and taught. Um, and, that, and that this passage really describes beautifully. So I'm going to read it to us to remind us of the gospel. And maybe, maybe for the first time for you, or maybe if you've heard it many times in a renewed way. Jesus lived the perfect life of obedience so that we could be saved from striving to live that life on our own. We don't, so in other words, we don't have to strive for obedience. Jesus already lived that perfect life of, of obedience for us. And so God declared us to be righteous, not because of any work we have done, but because of the work Jesus did. And we can rest from working to measure up to perfection. We can cease striving to be perfect by our own strength and efforts. We can rest in the life of Jesus lived on our behalf. Jesus overcame Satan's temptation and wants to extend his ruling power in our lives and through our lives so that so we also can be saved from Satan's lies and power. Jesus came to set the captives free from slavery to Satan and sin. Jesus died in our place to save us from the wrath of God and the penalty of sin, which is spiritual, relational, and physical death. He saves us from spiritual death and makes us alive in Christ. He atones for our guilt and removes our shame. He reconciles us to God so that we can also be reconciled to one another. And ultimately, through our bo- though our bodies will fail and die, he gives us glorified resurrection bodies that will live forever. Jesus ascended into heaven and saves us from living in the depths of sin by raising us and seating us with him in the heavenly realms. We were poor and lowly, And now we are co-heirs with Christ, sharing in his eternal blessings. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And he sends his spirit to give us new birth, a new life. He saves us from our old life of sin and identity in Adam to a new life with a new identity, a new purpose, and a new power. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Not only are we declared righteous, but we can also live righteous lives. Not only are we called holy, but we can live as God's holy people. We are new. We are alive. We are free. No longer saved to sin, 
but are now slaves to righteousness, slaves to what truly living is. And all of this is a gift. It is all by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. We receive it all by grace through faith. This is the gospel, and this is what the gospel does for us. This is, the gospel is a gospel of freedom, but it's freedom away from sin and towards a life of obedience and righteousness. But it's not something that we have to strive for. It's actually a gift that we receive. Discipleship really is about learning how to receive that gift on a day day basis, waking up every morning and receiving it anew, realizing that every single day we are going to fight against our flesh. We are going to fight against our sinful nature, and there are going to be times throughout our day when we know the right thing to do and we are not going to do it. We know that we shouldn't blow up at our kids, but we still do it. We know that we shouldn't insult our parents, but we still do it. We know that we shouldn't gossip, we shouldn't steal, we shouldn't speak ill of other people, but we still do it. The gospel looks at that and says, obviously so, because that is the sinful nature at work in you, but there is good news, there is a savior who can save you from that, and then you don't have to strive to overcome all these bad things, there will be a spirit that by, by faith, if you trust in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, and you received his gift of grace, he's going to send his spirit to transform your mind and to write the law of God on your heart, which will teach you how to love other people sacrificially, giving you a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. The gospel is this brilliant message, this beautiful message that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for you. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Transformed your hearts and sanctified you by his Spirit. We need the gospel, and we need to hear this gospel over and over and over again. And this is the core of what it means to follow Jesus. Because discipleship really is being so immersed in the gospel that you cannot help but be transformed by it. Bit by bit, as it reveals hidden part by hidden part, and moves you from law to love and from self-centeredness to self-sacrifice, the gospel will transform you into a more loving, Jesus-like person. And so here is my invitation for you to put your faith into practice this week, is to remind yourself of the gospel every single day. Remind yourself of the gospel, and a great way of doing this would be to read this passage. Read through Romans 7, verse 18, to 8 verse 4 
and use that as a, as a starting off point to pray for yourself and to pray for other people to help, um, to help guide you in, in praying that you would know the freedom of the gospel, that you would know the freedom from condemnation, the freedom from the law of sin and death, the freedom of the law of the spirit that gives you life. You can pray that you would experience that life. You could pray that you'd be awakened to it and that you would be strengthened in it. And that you would experience a life that is transformed by the righteousness of, of God being given to you through Christ. So this, this is the challenge, to use this verse as a starting off point for prayer, to remind you of the gospel, so pray for yourself, but then also to remind another person of the gospel. To remind another Christian. Let them know that you are using this passage to pray over them, to help them experience the, the benefits of all that the gospel gives us and the deliverance that we receive through Christ Jesus. You can let them know by giving them a phone call and praying for them, by sending an email, by meeting in a backyard, sending a Facebook message. Simple little things to just say, hey, I'm taking, I'm, I'm taking the faith and practice challenge seriously this week, and I'm just letting you know that I'm praying for you, and maybe can I pray for you now? And you can use the passage to pray for them right on the phone, right then and there. It's only going to be when we start putting our faith into practice that we learn how to walk and then run. It's only going to be doing this type of thing, reminding ourselves of the gospel every single day, waking up, reading scripture, whether it's this passage or any other, and reminding ourselves of God's great I love you on the cross that gives us freedom to then live lives of self-sacrificial, other-centered love. And so put your faith into practice this week by reminding yourself of the gospel and then helping to remind a brother or sister of the gospel as well. As we end our time together, let's pray for courage to take this challenge on. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your gospel. I thank you that we have no condemnation in Christ. And that you have given us a law of the Spirit that sets us free from the law of sin and death. We know, Father, that there are times in our days when we know exactly the right thing to do and we just don't do it. And we know that something is wrong to do, but we do it anyways. And so, Father, I pray that you would transform us, that you transform our hearts and our minds through the sending of your Spirit, but, but also through reminding us of your good news. Help us, Father, to stay focused on your Son throughout our days so that we can follow him, so we can hear his, his, his voice in our lives and do what it says. And today... We hear that voice saying, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow. 
And so help us to do just that. Help us to make this decision to follow you every single day. And then give us the, the courage to encourage other people within the church to do the same. As iron sharpen sharpens iron, we're told, that is how we are to engage with each other in the church to help each other learn how to crawl and then walk and then run. And so I pray you would just help us to do that this week and in the coming weeks as well as we seek to put our faith into practice, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.